Okay, John, the book of John, chapter 6. Hab keine Angst, as they say in German. There's only 70 verses in this chapter. We're not going to read them all. Uh, I want to read to you, <clears throat> give you a little background first. Um, there's a parallel passage in Mark, chapter 6. Interesting, the same, same chapter in Mark. You can read that. Later, and I'll be mentioning some of the things that Mark mentions that John doesn't mention, just to help flesh out uh, some of the things we're learning. But John chapter six it begins with Jesus feeding five thousand folks um, in a desert area around the Sea of Tiberias. Probably far more than five thousand, because Jews never counted people except if they were the grown male. So if they counted a crowd, they only counted the men. So probably far more than five thousand, and then. After that, Jesus and his disciples leave and go, uh, the disciples go across the lake. Um, there's a storm on the lake. Jesus comes walking out to them uh, on the water. That's another whole story. Uh, we don't have time to get into everything. Uh, he calms that and gets in the boat and they go to the other side and then um, people come looking for him and that's where we pick it up. I'm going to pick it up in uh, chapter 26, uh, verse 25. When they found him on the other side of the lake, they asked him, Rabbi, uh, <clears throat> when did you get here? And Jesus answered, I tell you the truth, you're looking for me not because you saw the miraculous uh, signs, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. That's why you're looking for me. Don't work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. On him, God the Father has placed his seal of approval. And they asked him, uh, what must we do to do the works that God requires? Here's that question again. And Jesus answered, the work of God is this, to believe in the one he sent. That's all he says. Isn't that interesting? So they asked him, what miraculous sign then will you give that we may see it and believe in you? What will you do? Our forefathers ate manna in the desert as is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. And Jesus said to them, I tell you the truth, it's not Moses who gave you bread from heaven. It's my father who gives you the true bread from heaven. And the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives his life to the world. Now, I want you to notice um, references to heaven, uh, references to eternal life, um, and, resurre- uh, and references to resurrection as we go, because there's going to be a lot of them. Surely they said, from now on, give us this bread. And Jesus said, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never go hungry. He who believes in me will never be thirsty. But as I told you, you have seen me and still you do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never drive away. For I have come down from heaven, not to do the will, uh, my will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose none of all he has given me, but raise them up on the last day. For my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. And the Jews began to grumble about him because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They said, is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose, mother and, whose father and mother we know? How can he say, I, am, I came down from heaven? Stop grumbling among yourselves, Jesus answered. 
No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him and I will raise him up on the last day. It is written in the prophets, they will all be taught by God. Everyone who listens to the Father learns from him and comes to me. No one has seen the Father except the one who is from God. Only he has seen the Father. I tell you the truth, he who believes has everlasting life. And I'm the bread of life. Your fathers ate manna in the desert, yet they died. But here is the bread that comes down from heaven, which a man may eat and not die. I'm the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And this bread is my flesh, which I give for the life of the world. Okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stop there, but keep your Bible open because I'm going to point to some more verses uh, here that we haven't had a chance to look at. <clears throat> uh, first, I want to tell you a story. In World War II, you might know this, <clears throat> the Germans um, forced uh, many 12 to 13-year-old boys into what was called the Junior Gestapo, or the Hitler Youth, and they were, uh, they were treated harshly um, and given all kinds of inhumane jobs far beyond their abilities, and, and they were far removed from their families. And when the war ended, um, uh, a a lot of the Allied soldiers came upon, you know, uh, blown up places that were nothing but kid soldiers. And there were a lot of children who survived who were wandering about without shelter and without provision and they didn't know who their family was or where they were. An aid program uh, in the post-war German area, uh, country, placed a, a lot of these kids in tent cities and brought in doctors and psychologists to work with them to restore their health. And um, <clears throat> many of them would wake up in the middle of the night screaming in terror. And you can imagine why. And then one doctor had an idea, and after feeding them a large meal, um, they were put to bed with a piece of bread to hold. And they were told, don't eat this, save it for the morning. It's for the morning. And interestingly enough, they slept soundly. Presumably because after so many years of hardship and hunger and, and worry about what will happen tomorrow, finally they had some bit of assurance for the next day, even if it was just a little piece of bread. So, um, God's desire in the Bible is for all his kids, the human race, for each of us to feel that same warm, blanketed, tucked-in security that we call his love. And he has said it many times, and one of those times is in the claim he makes in who he is in John 6 in our text. He claimed to be the bread of life. Now, just what did that mean? What I want to do first is look at what did that mean to Jesus' audience And then we're going to ask, what does that mean to us? Okay? What does that mean to Jesus' audience? You can tell that when Jesus fed the crowd of more than 5,000 people, as I told you already, you could tell that they thought back to Moses. You know, they talk about the manna and so forth. Jesus reminded them of Moses, and well, he should. If you look in chapter 6, verse 14... 
uh, if you have your Bible open, at the people saw the miraculous sign that Jesus did, they began to say, surely this is a prophet who is the prophet who was to come into the world. Well, that's a quote from Malachi, or not Malachi, um, Deuteronomy, where, uh, where, who's that guy again? Moses, where Moses said, there will come up again a great prophet like myself. You know, who, who will lead you into salvation. Okay, so this is, this is what they're going back to. During the 40 years of wandering to the promised land in the desert, they ate manna, uh, which fell on the floor of the, of the desert each day as God told them he would send it. And this scene is similar to that scene. Uh, God, uh, Mark's gospel, John doesn't tell us, but Mark's gospel says they were out in a desert place. And Mark's gospel also tells us that, they, that Jesus arranged them in groups of hundreds and fifties around him. Come to that in a minute. Rabbis commonly taught that the Messiah would repeat acts and things that happened uh, to Israel and, and with Moses. Well, uh, sitting orderly around uh, Jesus in groups. There are writings that were discovered in the Qumran uh, in the Qumran Dead Sea Scrolls that describe the true Israel as assembling in the same manner in the desert at the final judgment. And in the desert, when they were in the desert, each of the tribes was situated in patterns around the tabernacle where God was. So interesting, isn't it? I mean, Jesus is kind of acting out the wandering in the desert. So it's safe to say that the people uh, were pretty sure Jesus was at least like a Moses-type dude. You know, a great man, someone close to God. Jesus reminded him them of Moses. Jesus also reminded them of other great prophets. Elijah, for example, and his protege, uh, Elisha. In 1 Kings 17, Elijah provided food for a widow, right? Um, perpetual flour and oil with which to make Soup, bread, and then Elisha in Second Kings chapter four miraculously fed a hundred men with twenty little barley loaves, same kind of loaves that we find here, barley, the poor man's flour. So there they are along the Sea of Tiberias, Galilee, <clears throat> whispering from one sweaty ear to another, "This guy could be our candidate, you know, for our party." He could take our country places. You know, he could solve problems. Not un unlike uh, what other folks in other religions say about Jesus. He's a great guy. He's a great teacher. He's a great man. Uh, Islam's book, the Quran, says that. Agrees that Jesus is a fine teacher. Not as good as Mohammed, but good. Lots of people in our city know about Jesus are willing to admit that he's a, he, he obviously changed the world to some degree. He must have been a good teacher, someone... No. No, next time you have that conversation with someone, tell them, tell them Jesus has not left himself open to be been called a good teacher. The kind of things that he said are not exactly helpful things. Let's think about it. First off, he said what? Verse 38. For I have come down from heaven... Well, that's interesting. A little bit later, they say, isn't this Jesus whose father and mother is Joseph and, you know, Mary? And don't we know them? 
I mean, we all know where babies come from. How'd you come from heaven? That seems a little crazy. Second, he says, I can make you live forever. He says this all over the place. I mean, he, you know, you can live longer than 102. Not that I particularly want to live to be 102. Uh, Well, on this earth anyway. But he can live longer than that. You can live forever. You know, Shangri-La, the uh, fountain of youth, the whole thing, right? Here, Here he's saying he's this. Look at verse 27. Here's verse 27. Do not work for food that spoils, but food that endures to eternal life. Look at verse 47. I tell you the truth, he believes has eternal life. That's life that goes on for eternity, right? Yeah, that makes sense. Verse 51. I'm the living bread that came from heaven. If you eat this bread, you will live forever. Hey, look at verse uh, 39. I will lose none of whom the Father has given me. I will raise them up on the last day. I'm going to raise them back to life. Resurrection, right? Verse 40. He who believes in him shall have eternal life. I will raise him up on the last day. He says it again. Verse 44. I just want you to see this because, I mean, sometimes you just read it and because you see the same words, you think to yourself, well, you know, yeah, yeah, I got that already. But it's a point, right? Verse 44. I will raise him up on the last day. Verse 54. It's the same thing over and over. If you believe in me, you're not going to die. You're going to live forever now somebody came up to you in the mall and said that kind of thing to you would you say you are a good teacher or would you say you are nuts that's probably what you would say when they when 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 you ask people what they think of Jesus and they say to you well he was a good man or a good teacher you should tell them that he did not leave himself open for that He did not lead that as an option. Who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? Either he was who he said he was, or he was crazy, or faking us all out. Who is he to you? What place does he have in your life? Nice guy whose book you might read to your kids someday. Interesting, but, you know, Netflix is better. In so many ways, we are just like the people in John chapter 6. We are we're this clueless audience. You know, we, we don't realize that Jesus is telling us when he says, I'm the bread of life, that he is far much more than a human leader. You know, he is far much more than a handy resource or a good inspiration. And we must, we must not miss this either. I want to show you something. Verse 11. Um, <clears throat> verse 11. He set them down the grass. Jesus took the loaves and gave thanks. Now that's that's a Hebrew term. You know what it means uh, to give thanks? Every every Hebrew gives thanks before they break bread. And they all say the same thing. They always say the same thing. Blessed are you, O Lord our God, King of the universe, who brings forth, want to guess? Bread from the ground. Jews always start like that. They give thanks and they say that. And then, Jesus brings forth bread. Interestingly enough, it's miraculous. What's the message of the miracle of the loaves? Well, I'll give you a hint. It's the same as the message of the miracle of walking on water, which follows that in in our 
text and also in Mark. In Mark 51, it says that after Jesus calmed the storm and got in the boat, I put it on the screen, this is what it says, and they saw him walking on the lake. They thought he was a ghost. They cried out because they saw him and were terrified. Immediately he spoke to them, take courage, it is I. In Greek, that's uh, the same as I am. Don't be afraid. Then he climbed into the boat with them and the wind died down. Now read this with me. They were completely amazed for they had not understood about the loaves. Their hearts were hardened. Oh, so they were amazed at the walking on the water thing and stilling the storm because they didn't understand the bread thing. That miracle. What was the miracle? What was the message of walking on the water? These guys are freaking out, right? They're in a boat. Their, their jaws are down in the bilge water. And they're thinking, who are you? You know? But I guess when they were making, when, when Jesus was making the bread, that, that wasn't so impressive. I suppose, oh, huh, more bread. Bartholomew, more bread. Oh, more bread. Uh, here you go. And they didn't get that, that Jesus was creating. He's creator. He can walk on his own lakes. He can talk to his own storms. Jesus claimed to be the bread of life. is a claim to be nothing less than the creator God, the first source of all of life. That's who he's saying he is. He's showing them He's showing us. He's the engineer of the Milky Way. And that's his idea. Uh, that the world is his playground. That he's not just another nice man. His name is so much more than something you say when a car nearly sideswipes you. No, he's far more than that. If you cut your finger and it heals, it's because of him. Jesus is the reason, uh, by the way, that your fingers are tapered at the end and not square. It was his idea. Jesus is the reason we have uh, gravity or nuclear fusion or breath at all. I mean, I wish, I, I wish there was some way to describe him to you, but this is who he is. The Bible says, He alone stretches out the heavens and treads on the waves of the sea. Does that sound familiar? He is the maker of the bear and Orion, those are and Pleiades, the constellations of the south. He performed wonders that cannot be fathomed, miracles that cannot be counted. When he passed me, passes me, I cannot see him. When he goes by, I cannot perceive him. If he snatches away, who can stop him? Who can say to him, what are you doing? That's, that's who Jesus is saying he is by walking on water and feeding 5,000 people with two, uh, five loaves and two fish. Now, I would just suggest that if we really got up in the morning with a full awareness of the person that I'm talking about right now, the first thing we would not do is to go to the coffee pot and push the on button, right? I don't know if that's the first thing you do, but that's pretty much the first thing I do, you know? I think if, if I woke up and I was immediately aware of who we have been talking about right here, we would not go to the coffee machine first, we would fall flat on our face and ask him for instructions. What do you want from me today, master of the universe? Oh, that we could live in that immediate awareness all the time. So that's what he's saying to the people in John 6. What does this mean for us? What does this mean? I think it means a couple of things. And this is, I want to talk about today is, in a nutshell, we call that eternal security. 
and this is this is really this is really exciting. Since God is the Creator God, we have an eternal hope in Him. We do not have a temporary hope. We don't we do not have a hope that you know maybe this, maybe that. We have an eternal hope. Remember the German boys? What they needed was a hope for the next day. They had their world was ravished. They didn't know to whom they belonged or what would happen. Uh, I don't know if you know this or not, but for a decade before World War II, um, all through Germany, uh, the youth of Germany were conscripted into what was called the Hitler Youth and systematically uh, organized in, in camps and raised in education camps designed to make the state their family and Hitler their father and world domination their goal. This happened for a whole decade before the war. I mean, this was a systematic plan all along. And now here are these kids who are fighting, uh, you know, a world war. And, it, and it's all gone. And Hitler is dead. And Germany is in rubble. And they have no reason to be. They just need a hope for tomorrow. And guess what? When Christ gives us hope, it is not just for tomorrow. It is for eternity. It is eternal security that he offers us. It's not just, you know, if you, can, if, you can st- if you can keep up with me on the race, you know, through tomorrow, you're good. And, and then if you can keep up with me on the next day, you know, good. No, no, it's, it's more like he's carrying you through the whole race. People often live their whole lives in fear of the future. And, and Christians are, deceivi- are deceived into worrying uh, that somehow their salvation, you know, whether I make it to heaven or not, uh, depends on me. Or somehow my salvation in, in this world, you know, whether I actually live a sanctified life or not, or, or, or win over my problems, is, is up to me and my willpower, right? I want you to see what Jesus says about all that. Um, bear in mind that in our text, when you read, um, come to me, you know, come to Jesus, or eat my body, um, or believe on the Son of Man. Those are all, they all mean the same thing. They're all parallel. It's all referring to the same thing. Okay? Now I want you to look at uh, verse 29. The work of God is this, to believe in the one he sent. The one thing required for eternal hope to believe that Jesus is, in fact, your bread of life. Look at verse 37. All the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me will never drive away. Okay. I want to say that that's very securing. He says that, that God has given everyone who believes to Jesus. Like, he planned it out. They were given to Jesus by the Father. Look at verse 39. This is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose none of whom he has given me. So if the Father gave someone to Jesus, Jesus isn't going to lose them. We will raise them up on the last day, it says. So Jesus came to collect all that the Father had planned to give to him already. Verse 44. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him and I will raise him up in the last day. Okay. 
So nobody eats this bread or, or comes to Jesus or believes on Jesus unless the Father literally grabs them and pulls them in, draws them in. It's a, a word that they use for dropping a uh, bucket down a well, getting it full of water, and then drawing it up. And the water doesn't do anything to help out. The person is pulling the water up to them. Okay? Why is the person who comes to Jesus, who eats this bread and believes in him for eternity, uh, eternity, why is that person confident? Why is that person not worried? Well, do you believe that Jesus is your creator and your savior? Then you are one of those that the Father gave to the Son. And get this, he did that before time began. You are one the Father has given faith and has drawn to himself, you are one the Son will never lose. That's what that means. Let me show you a very interesting text in the book of Titus. Um, do I have that? Yeah. Uh, let me read you part, and I want you to read part of it too. Paul, a servant of God, an apostle of Jesus Christ, for the faith of God's what? For the faith of God's elect. That word is electos, elect. In Greek, means chosen. The faith of God's chosen and the knowledge of the truth that leads to godliness. God's chosen ones will follow him into godliness. A faith and knowledge resting on the hope of eternal life which God, who does not lie, now read it, promised before the beginning of time. Well, how did that work? Who did he promise it to? If it was before time began, was there anybody there? As far as I could see, the only person who was there was God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So answer, the Father promised the Son all his chosen or elect before he even made time, and therefore hope in the Son extends beyond time into eternity. You see what I'm saying? It's God who's working out the calling of his own. Now, we don't know who all those are. That's why we spread the message. And maybe you don't even know if you are. But you ask yourself this, do I believe in this Savior? And if you do, you know already that he chose you first. He came after you. That's the pertinent question to ask. Is what do I think of him? Because if I believe in him, wow, he has given me that faith. That's how much he loves me. John 1 says, All who received, those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children not born of a natural descent or a human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. Now, on a, on a human level, of course, we say to someone, you must decide to follow Jesus. Inside we pray, God, is this one of yours? Draw them in. The whole process began before, you, before there was time. Not just before there was an earth, but before there was time. So what does that say to us? We live in our faith as believers. We have been granted to live forever. We have been chosen through no merit of our own, 
by heaven. Heaven's plan cannot be foiled. You can't, you can't beat God. The son cannot lose any of the father has given him. He will say this later in John 10 too. He says, uh, I call my sheep and my sheep are in my hand and no one can snatch him out of my hand. And then he says, in, in my father's hand, he's even greater and no one can snatch him out of my father's hand. So if you are his, you don't lose that. Jesus paid. The price is paid even for things we haven't considered doing wrong yet. He takes back his kids the infinite number of times. You cannot blot his blueprints. You cannot mess up his plan. We have eternal life. And that's already begun if you're a Christian. Now, it doesn't mean that we don't suffer consequences if we sin. And this teaching is not say, okay, go out and do whatever because it doesn't matter because it does matter. And God rewards good in heaven. And we give account in heaven. And there are consequences for our sins on earth. They go along with it. But your destiny as a believer is never in doubt. It cannot be broken. Now, if you have not believed in Jesus, if you have not eaten the bread of life, then I say, eat Believe, repent of sin and come to him today. Enter into this mysterious realization that God came for you before you even knew it and has been coming for you all along. That's how much he loves people. As a creator God, we have eternal security. As, as Jesus showing himself to be the creator God and, and saying, I am the bread of life. He's also something, one more thing. He's also our central reason for being, for living. Okay? He's why we are alive. That's why we choose the things to do that we choose to do. As to say, you must understand that all of our longings, your and my longings, you know, we, our wishes and so forth, deep inside, all the delights um, that we experience, all, and that make us smile, you know, all the hopes and wishes, uh, all the places where you and I run looking, looking for satisfaction or pleasure or, or some kind of moments of, of happiness. What we're, when Jesus says he's the bread of life, he's saying, what you really want is me. That's what he's saying. You were created to live with me, to, to eat me, basically. To come to me. <clears throat> you were designed to know me. You really want to satisfy those places. This is where we need to go. Which is also to say then that making money is not um, why you must grow up and finish high school and, and do whatever, college or get a job. It's, that's not why. That's not why you're on the earth. Becoming educated is not why you're on the earth. Although it may help uh, to the extent which, to which it helps the world discover the spiritualities of God, absolutely. But that's not the main reason. Becoming a buff dude or a hot babe, as much as the world might like that, is not ultimately going to fulfill you. It's not what you're really looking for. Even if it seems like that in some moments. John six twenty seven. Let's read it. Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. You know, there's a lot of best-selling books um, about the Beatles. 
Um, the fifth best-selling book is a Christian one. It's a Christian book. Um, it's written by Ken Mansfield. It's called Beatles, the Bible, and Bodega Bay. I haven't read the book. I've read about the book. Apparently, Ken was the manager of Apple, um, Apple Records, Beatles label. And he tells about all the wonderful times that he had being with the, with the Beatles before they broke up. But then they broke up and things went downhill for him in the mid-80s. I was in college then. He hit bottom. And during that time, he fell in love with a lady who loved him back, but she loved Jesus more. So she broke it off because he didn't believe in Jesus. And she said, I can't marry a man who does not love Jesus. And so, since he loved her, he figured, maybe I better find out about this Jesus guy. And he did. And he fell in love with Jesus, became a Christian. And he wrote this book. He makes crystal clear that it was a great time being with the Fab Four, but they are in no way compared to Jesus. This is what he writes. They, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, are the authors of the map I needed for my journey. I needed a chart, a journal with clear directions, a log to refer to, a guidebook wherein their commands could speak to my wandering spirit. I needed a book so powerful that its words could burn a living message into the absolute heart of my heart. I needed an irrefutable holy word of God, the Father Almighty, the creator of the seas I was lost upon. And for the greater part of my journey, that began the day I set sail from the rugged shores of northern Idaho, I had none of these. And unfortunately, Billboard magazine was my Bible, and record charts my God, and prestigious positions my purpose, and the Holy Grail was the Grammy, and the best table at the Brown Derby was the Promised Land. But he found something better. found something way better. In Christ. Seven times in the book of John, Jesus says, I am. He uses this term, Old Testament name for God. It's the term Yahweh. He uses that term, I am. No Jew would say that out loud. So Jesus saying it is radical enough. He says it seven times. It's capitalized in your English Bible as Lord. It's a capitalized Lord. Capital L-O-R. They're all capital. That's the, that's the term. We're going to look at uh, those sayings all the way up to Easter. And with every one of them, we are going to be urging each other to take another step toward I am. The bread of life tells us that he is our eternal security beyond the gravestone that we might lie under someday. We were given to him, to Jesus, by his Father. And he gives us eternal life and he will raise us up on the last day. That. That's assuring. I'll close with one more story from World War II that I read about. Uh, there were some GIs that, um, you know, captured a lot of the islands in the South Pacific, of course. And, and on one particular island, they, um, they encountered a tribe, a native tribe, uh, that at one time had been headhunters, but, but now were Christian. And they showed, they probably displayed to the GIs after World War II, um, they're copies of the Bible that missionaries had made for them. And one of the GIs responded, Oh, well, we've outgrown all of that. To which the islander said, Well, it's a good thing that we haven't. Because you'd have been lunch by now. <laughs> you see, they came to Jesus. They ate the bread of life. 
And it changed everything. It changed everything. Let's pray. Oh, Lord, teach us how to eat the bread of life. Jesus, teach us of your good and perfect ways. Jesus, talk to our spirits. Show us how to walk the maze of this earth. How to figure it out. How to live like you want us to. Give us the gift of repentance and faith. And give it to our friends and our neighbors. And fill your kingdom, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. God's people said, Amen. Amen. All right, let's.